0: Roger Pedactor went out after work. He had a few drinks and he came home. But he wasn't alone. Someone else was with him in this apartment. There was a struggle and he was thrown over that balcony.
1: Roger Pedactor didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is uh, Duncan and Bo come correct, uh, which you probably know if you clicked on the play button. So here we are again. It has been a little bit of time since uh, last we met, but I, I hope that it is worth the wait. We have two excellent movies on the docket today. Uh, as we do uh, with every show, we have picked a theme. That theme today is detectives. And let me first turn to amateur sleuth, Duncan McLeish. Welcome back, Duncan. Here we are yet again to do battle.
0: You see, sir, I just got one more question for you there, sir. You see, I got one question. You said you went out with your wife, right? You said you went out with your wife. Now, Mrs. Columbo, she always says to me when you go out, you take your parking jacket, and you're... And so, oh, Hiya, Bo. How's it going? That is <laughs> the worst
2: Sean Connery I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was that was at
2: least sea level Columbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah sea level Colombo, If you mean, like, level with the ocean... Uh, are <laughs> hopefully under it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how are you, sir? It it has been we. It's not like we haven't been talking and recording. And for those uh, uh, fine folks who subscribe to our feed, they have been getting fresh content weekly. Yeah, weekly. We opted to
0: weekly, and as a result of that, this one kind of didn't happen for a couple.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. But we were we were doing um, X Files recap shows. Mm-hmm. And I would argue even if you don't enjoy the X Files, you might enjoy these episodes. Oh yeah, there was they were a ton of fun. There was uh,
0: even if you even if you to be honest with you, even if you thought the show when it came back, if you watched them, was the best thing that's ever been on TV, and me and Bo probably would agree with you on that, you should still listen to us. I think I think we did it justice. I think we got in and had quite a bit of fun with the script, but at the same time touched all the the good points about that show. There were some episodes in that that were truly remarkable and surprising. So, um, yeah, you should definitely check it out if you haven't.
2: Yeah, so that is our way of uh, apologizing. <laughs> By blaming you, the listener, for not listening to the content we were producing. Even though you, you, like, there is a segment of our listening audience, I'm sure, that was like, I, I don't give a shit about the X-Files. I might, I might enjoy, uh, Duncan and Bo on, uh, a totally different level, but mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna waste my time with the X-Files episodes. I would still argue you should listen to at least episode four of. <laughs> of that run, which I I actually listened back to, which is something I rarely do, is it it it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it it was a very funny show. So um, yeah, yeah. So check that out. But uh but we're back in gear here. We're we're here to finish up season two, and Duncan, it is a tight race.
0: Yeah, we're drawn again, aren't we?
2: We are indeed. Oh. We have four episodes and an incorrect. To decide the fate of uh, the winner of this season, uh, who gets a ridiculous trophy at the end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which uh, you you are the possessor of said trophy for uh, for last season. Well done. Um, yes. This season has been it really has been tight. Um, the the movies I think have been even better than season one, mm. and I would argue the conversations have even been better. Yeah. Um, and, and I like season one still, so you know we we continue on the upswing until we eventually reach our apex plateau for a bit, and then start our inevitable slide into obscurity.
0: Yeah. Um, so arguments happen on air, you know. <laughs> our, our
2: dirty laundry is aired, <laughs> uh, you know.
0: I, you know, when I was choosing this, no one cares what you think, bull.
2: <laughs> oh God, if you could just stop all that breathing. <laughs> um. But let's, uh, let, let's begin like we traditionally do, and let's talk about the uh, the things we've been seeing in the interim. And as I alluded to previously uh, before we started recording, I've watched a lot of poo, <laughs> I think is the technical cinematic term. And uh, But I'm, I'm going to save that, because I want to hear what you have watched that was both good and bad, uh, a segment stolen by better podcasts than ours. Yeah. Um, So. so, They
0: really really have done it better than
2: us. Yeah, but Uh, that's fine. That's fine because we did it first and that gives us, you know, it's like Neil Armstrong was the first person on the moon, but I also bet he wet himself. But that doesn't take anything away from the accomplishment.
0: (laughs) And Buzz Aldrin was the second man on the moon and he will never let you forget that. Um, Oh.
2: I, I shook that man's hand.
0: You told me that once before. I'm surprised he didn't right hook you. He's
2: quite a violent old man. He, he is, and he didn't punch me, uh, except emotionally. <laughs> you can see when he looks at you that he's just like, you've never been on the moon.
0: <laughs> I'm just thinking about, I'm like, punching people now, and I'm just imagining him being, like, Clyde from, like, every which we <laughs> right. right.
2: Right turn, Buzz. Boom. <laughs> Second man on the moon, Buzz. Punch.
0: Right, um, the two movies that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about my good, and I'm going to shock the audience here. um, Because I have seen a comic book movie that I actually really liked.
2: That is stunning to me, but go ahead.
0: Yes, uh, I took a small trip to go out and see Deadpool at the cinema um, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was kind of... I was looking forward to it, but... I had that kind of niggling feeling at the back of my head, which was, ultimately, it's a comic book movie. The the setup, execution, and endings of comic book movies tend to frustrate me in that they're fairly predictable. Um, And some people will say, but Duncan, you're a horror fan. Surely horror films are the same. And I would say, yes, that is correct but I like horror movies. I don't like I don't like comic book adaptations at all. Um so I wasn't really expecting much. I was expecting it to be funny because I do find Ryan Reynolds funny. So I was I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was, but at the same time just like a really entertaining movie. Like I think that was a big thing for me. Yes, there are still things about it which kind of annoyed me a little bit, but for the most part, it was just, I thought, a very well-written, very fast-paced, very funny action movie, which just so happened to be a movie with superheroes in it. Um, Ryan Reynolds is, Ryan Reynolds, if you've seen any of his uh, kind of comedy movies from the the, the 90s and early 2000s, it kind of falls back into that. Um, but the dialogue was really, really clever. It's very meta. It's very self-referential as well as making reference to superhero movies in general. Um, the, the kind of expanded universe that that character comes from. It, it was surprisingly... and I would go as far as to say it's my favourite comic book one I've seen thus far and I think this is the first and that is a bold statement I know everyone's doing the whole oh it's changing the face of cinema R-rated movies are coming back Um, but I, I would pull back from that and I would acknowledge that this is a movie which is owned by a film company which isn't Disney and this one did really well and it's quite nice to see that happened so that there's not just one entire monopoly on everything to do with comic book stuff at the moment. And that, that is Disney uh, pretty much. I know Warner brothers is there doing
2: their thing, but um, yeah, it's pretty good to see that as well. And so does what I have heard is that you see Ryan Reynolds penis in this movie. Is this correct? Uh, (laughs) I, I think it's a CGI penis, but I may be wrong. Uh, he,
0: is, he is badly burned at this point, so I would imagine it's a bodysuit.
2: Fair enough. Okay. But but there is full frontal male nudity.
0: There is full, there's full frontal male nudity in the same respects as there's full frontal male nudity in The Watchmen.
2: Okay. Fair enough. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there's some Dr. Manhattan dong in The Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, there's some Deadpool Dong in here as well. Um Deadpool Dong, by the way, uh that needs the, to be the like... best of uh the Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavors. <laughs> I was gonna say if ever there was a
0: chance for a side business for 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 sex toys, Deadpool Dong needs to be in there. Um it just it just like really insults you while it's
2: penetrating you. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I can provide the same service really. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I, I was surprised at how well it actually worked. And it really does, I, I know I keep coming back to this funny, it really was funny. I mean, it was very little of the movie. Even when they went down the more serious aspects of which, Ryan Reynolds uh, to his credit and he's, I, I think he is a, a really good actor. I think he's a lazy actor in that he's very easily typecast and seems to be quite happy at the fact that he's been typecast. But When I think of performances in other movies, like Buried is always the one that I come back to, or last year they did The Voices. I think he can do kind of a multifaceted approach to acting out emotions. You know, he can be quite sad and he can be quite happy and it doesn't feel like he's out of his comfort zone doing any of them and he brought that to this movie. But... Like, the, the thing aims for comedy at least 90% of the movie, and I think it succeeds at it. So, yeah, surprisingly good. And obviously, the, the knock-on effect of this is that Hollywood have said it made, Deadpool made how much? And it was an R-rated movie? Wait one second. Maybe people want to see R-rated movies. As if no horror fan has been shouting that since, since the early 2000s. Um, and it looks like there's a lot of R-rated movies now being greenlit on the back of this. And yeah, I'd be quite interested. kick Kickass must have been an R-rated movie in the yeah, states. Yeah,
2: it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's a comic book movie, so I don't understand why. You know, it's probably the the amount of money this has made because I think it's is it not it's, it's it's somewhere up in the it's in the top ten comic book releases of all time and the highest-grossing R-rated release over a weekend of all time. So. Um yeah. Sur- su- surprising success
2: for a movie that no studio wanted to touch 3 years ago. So <laughs> Yeah, and I I think it helps too that, you know, from all accounts I I haven't seen it yet. I do want to see it, but uh but by all accounts it's a good movie and it turns out if you make a good movie no matter what it's rated, uh you well, know, yeah. yeah, people do seem to to gravitate towards that. And you know, it it doesn't hurt that it's a comic book movie and that's very in vogue. Uh, right now, uh, has been for some time, but it seems like a different take on it. And the Deadpool comics I always enjoyed because they were the the little yeah, a, a bit cheekier look at superheroes for sure. Oh yeah, it definitely pokes
0: it pokes fun at the his previous incarnation of that character in the Wolverine movie. He pokes fun at his appearances the Green Lantern. There are tons of jokes in there, all kind of self-deprecating towards Ryan Reynolds as an actor, as well as the roles he's done, as well as a cheeky look at what the X-Men are and how that's been handled as well. So there's tons of jokes in there. The opening credit sequence is glorious. It's, like, actually fucking amazing. It's one of those opening credit sequences that you watch where you're just like, I know I'm going to enjoy this movie. This movie could literally just be an old lady knitting for the next hour and a half, and I would be happy that I've seen that opening sequence. So. uh, yeah, so that's, that was my good. Let's let's go on, on to a movie which I can take all the, the positives that I just ascribed to Deadpool and say that this next movie had none of them. Excellent. Uh, uh, so I, I've briefly spoken to you about this, so this should be no shock to you, but we'll be to the listeners. And I better explain my reasons behind watching this. I watched a movie called Just Go With It from 2011. <laughs> Right now you're you're laughing because you will know when I explain some of this out here. This is not the sort of movie I watch ever. I, I just don't watch them because they're they're generally not very good movies. And this one makes a lot of those movies that I think are not very good seem like Citizen Kane. Um, so just go with it as a supposed comedy romance a rom com. Um, although I didn't find it funny at all, and the romance almost made me want to throw up in my fist and eat it.
2: Um, so, <laughs> That's a back of the box blurb. If ever I heard it, made me want to throw up in my fist and eat it. Yeah, okay, much.
0: <laughs> So it's it's directed by Dennis Dugan. For those that don't know, is behind such great masterpieces as I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, Jack and Jill. Grown ups and grown ups too, um, so it was always going to be a great movie. Yeah, uh,
2: it has so, the pedigree, sure.
0: Yeah, it stars Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston, and I almost, I did almost have to do. I almost got whiplash from the double take when Nicole Kidman come on the screen. And I'm now convinced that Dennis Dugan somewhere has some sort of perverse bestiality video with nicole kidman in it and that's what they blackmailed her with to be in this movie because she is not she doesn't look like she wants to be there she doesn't her part's tiny um it did nothing for her career and it's just some bad casting so yeah the story for this one this is fucking great right so adam sandler is this he was going to get married but he remember the movie roxanne
2: I love the movie Roxanne. Yes.
0: I love the I love the movie Roxanne, and the joke of that is that Steve Martin has a, a rather long nose. Um, he doesn't like it when people talk about that. Uh, and this one, Adam Sandler's character as as a younger guy is engaged to a woman, uh, but he has a rather bulbous nose. And he overhears this woman say that she is only marrying him because he's, he's just passed his exam to be a plastic surgeon. Um, but he's really ugly and all the rest. So he leaves her and that night he's in a bar and the woman comes up and notices that he's wearing his wedding ring and she starts chatting to him and he realizes that when he spins a tale of woe around this idea of him being married, but his wife doesn't appreciate him and all the rest, he can bed ladies. He can basically get a bit of the riding on. So he, from that point onwards, subscribes to that life. So we jump forward into the future. He's a plastic surgeon in a fairly successful practice. And his secretary is played by Gillian Anderson, who they have done the, the, the Hollywood equivalent of, of the, the sorry, the uglying up or the de-beautification of Jennifer Aniston in this movie is the same way they try and hide Clark Kent they basically put a pair of glasses on her and they're like oh ugly yeah. woman clever yeah yeah that's well well played well played um and you from this point you pretty much know exactly where the movie's going um Adam Sandler is trying to uh, get in the the underwear of a particularly long, young lady um and in order to do that, he pretends that Jennifer Aniston is his bitch ex-wife. Um, so she plays into this role, kind of high society, all the rest, really obnoxious character. And then this woman finds that they've got, uh, Jennifer Aniston's got kids, so Adam Sandler pretends her his. One of the kids blackmails him. This is all like the first 20 minutes. Blackmails him to go to a holiday in Hawaii. Um, so he goes to Hawaii with his girlfriend. His apparent ex-wife, her kids, and his cousin, who's posing as a German sheepherder, who is married, supposedly, or courting uh, Jennifer Aniston, and it's just obnoxious. As, as the the movie tries to make me feel sorry for a womanizing liar,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, like uh, up from Jump Street, your main character is a guy who manipulates women into sex. Yeah, not heroic behavior per se. No, he, I, and he constantly lies. He, he's constantly lying about everything, and
0: I, I don't like that at all. I, so, and I don't particular. There was a time that I thought Adam Sandler was very funny. That that ship sailed many years ago. Um, so it's him doing really awful humor. Jennifer Aniston basically playing Jennifer Aniston. Nicole Kidman shows up. She is obnoxious. She is. It's just after the bad, the bad uh, plastic surgery that she had. Her so face kind of looks like a fish that's been shocked. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's just it's an awful fucking movie. And from the start, and I'm not spoiling anything. If you don't know what the ending is, he ends up because Jennifer Aniston takes her glasses off and scrubs up a bit better. He ends up falling in love with Jennifer Aniston. And um, it's just a fucking awful movie. There is the, the humour is awful. The it's rich people on an island. Uh, with no money worries, like, basically using each other for... Fuck this movie. It's awful. It's an awful, 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 awful movie. And IMDb gives it 6.4, and the people that gave it those ratings should be shot. It is not... for. It is a terrible fucking movie. It really... I, I, honestly... And the only reason I had to do it uh, was because I've started a new segment on one of my other shows where we, myself and the other host, pick a movie from Netflix to... Do the Netflix are chill too, so your your thing is was it worth watching or would you much rather just fool around with someone and have it on in the background? And I would go as far as to say I wouldn't even have this on. This would scare the ladies away. See if you were watching this, people are gonna have a, a lesser opinion of you. It's a fucking awful movie. Don't watch it. Alright,
2: alright. I, I do appreciate your advocation of uh you know, murdering bad reviewers yeah Uh, for this movie but at a certain point like someone has to draw a line in the sand and say or a land a line in the sandler if you will uh, (laughs) and say if you are giving a good review to a Dennis Dugan directed Adam Sandler movie you should not be allowed to review films no
0: I'm not I just don't know and and, uh, maybe maybe there are people maybe there are people for whom watching these sort of movies You know, it's entertainment or it's fun or whatever. It just, I, I, I've seen rom-coms before do fantastic things with characters and story and build up empathy and sympathy. And this doesn't have, it is a superficial movie to its very core, which is quite ironic considering it's all about a guy who's a plastic surgeon. It is a plastic surgeon's movie. So fuck this movie. What about yourself, Bo?
2: Um, I also saw. Uh, just get on with it. Uh, no, no, no. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, it, it, to that point, I do enjoy romantic comedies more than you do, and probably more so than I should, mm-hmm. uh, because I do like that, that weirdo fantasy element of, of most of those movies of like, hey, you know, I'm trying to find true love. Hey, what about this, m- my best friend who's the opposite gender, um, <laughs> That I'd never noticed before for no good reason. Yeah. Um, but I, there's something about, like, it, it's, it's very formulaic, but, but when done well and with a little bit of wit, I do enjoy those movies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway. So my good and bad. Let's start with the good because my bad's going to make me angry. <laughs> um, and much, much like yourself, I, I saw a movie that just kind of made me ball my hands into fists dig my nails into the palm of my hand till it bled. Um, But the good movie. Uh, So, I enjoy the horror movies, as we mentioned earlier, Duncan. And Mm -hmm. I saw one that surprised me uh, in in a way that I really enjoyed. And uh, that movie is the, uh, The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse.
0: Oh, right. Now, this actually got a cinematic release over here, and I never... I never went to check it out because I didn't like the trailer. I thought the trailer looked really bad.
2: Um it is a it's a very silly movie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it it knows that. Like I'm a big fan of a movie that has a, a target, aims for that target and hits it. Mm-hmm. it. It it's not trying to be the best zombie movie that ever was. It's not trying to be um the it it feels very much like a John Hughes-esque kind of film. All right. With zombies in it, but it also has a, a little bit of a lewd sense of humor. Um, it, so basically the, the premise of the movie is that you have um, three scouts that form a troop, and the, the movie begins with them trying to recruit others into the troop, and just no one's interested because they're, you know, teenagers, young teenagers at this point, and uh, being a scout uh, is not considered cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of, one of the kids is still really into scouting. They decide they're going to have this camping trip. And on this camping trip, the other two have decided they're going to say they no longer want to be in the scouts and leave this poor kid kind of on his lonesome with their, uh, their weirdo scout leader, um, as played by David Kegner, who uh, is pretty funny <laughs> in this. And, uh then a zombie apocalypse happens and uh they end up having to uh to save the day and at, during the course of the film you know like this uh sort of emotional hook of the film of uh them deciding that or two of them deciding that they're going to kind of abandon the other one uh comes out and and so there's some nice like character stuff they they genuinely feel like friends uh in in the movie Um, that, that stuff is really well done. Like I said, there, there are some really good comic moments in the film as well. Um, there is a character that kind of joins with them who is, I don't know if you have this experience. I I know I do. So maybe part of me liking this movie is that I could relate to this, but they have, um, a character who ends up fighting alongside them, who is a girl that went to their high school who has since become a stripper. (laughs) And I didn't have exactly that, but I went to high school with a girl who, uh, showed up in penthouse at one point. Oh God. Right. So, uh, but there was that moment of like, oh yeah, that is kind of a weird thing where there's almost this legendary girl that you kind of know. And so there's that character, but she turns out to be real fun and kind of a badass in the movie. Um, yeah, so I liked all the characters uh, quite a bit, more so than I thought I would. And there is a. There is a parody of the Alan Rickman death in Die Hard that is maybe the funniest thing I've seen in a movie in a while. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and it, you know, it ends real well, and, it, it, you know, it's a very breezy kind of movie it, it's not it doesn't take itself too seriously it doesn't take the material too seriously but it does justice to the characters and i i found myself enjoying it far more than i expected i would i, I really kind of watched it as a like i've heard good things about this but i don't i don't necessarily feel like i want to watch another zombie movie maybe ever mm-hmm. and and then seeing this i was like you know what that was a good time you, you can really mind that for some comedy still um, so yeah, I, I, would recommend it to both you and our listeners. I, 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 think it's an enjoyable movie. Um, but let's get to the bad Duncan, which is, <laughs> is also, uh, a horror film entitled The Diabolical <laughs> that just made its way to, uh, to Netflix, uh, star starring Ali Larder, um, you, who you may remember from, uh, the heroes television series. And, oh right. yeah and uh and i like uh, uh Allie larder I, you know I, I think she is uh kind of a fun actress and the premise of the movie appealed to me which is uh basically you're dealing with a haunted house and some investigators come in to uh try to uh both prove the haunting and dispel it so i'm i'm Maybe because of my love of the movie Poltergeist, probably my favorite moments in, the, in that involved the investigation of the house. Yeah. And, and so I'm I'm a bit predisposed to enjoy a movie about this. And here's what I liked about the movie from the outset. From the beginning, it was like, eh, this looks a little cheap. I don't know about this. And... But from the first scene... The house is haunted. There's no build-up to, like, well, maybe the house is haunted. Maybe we need to call somebody. Like, in the first ten minutes, everybody in the house knows it's haunted. Um, Allie Larker has already had people come in to investigate. And it turns out her boyfriend is, like, a, a physics teacher or physics tutor. Um, and then he's going to be drawn in to help investigate and then some real dumb shit happens, Duncan. Let me tell you about this. I'm gonna, <laughs> just fair warning, if for, if anything I said makes you want to watch The Diabolical, first of all, I apologize. I don't mean that. But if you're gonna watch it, uh, then skip ahead a little bit because I'm gonna spoil the shit out of this movie in hopes that you don't see it because here's what happens. So they, they set up some cameras, um, to determine uh, you know, like when, when these haunting happens, but, uh, hauntings happen, there's like a flash of light and then there's a gruesome thing that kind of crawls toward, uh, Allie Larder that just looks like some, you know, a latex bodysuit that spent a little too much time in the oven and then it disappears <laughs> out in another flash of light. So, uh, Allie Larder, uh, the other thing is she has a kid. She has two kids, but one of the kids is uh the older brother who's, you know, maybe like 11, 12-ish, and he has some anger management problems, Be you know, on the heels of a divorce, and he broke a kid's nose and that kind of shit. So he's having to see a psychiatrist and blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's important when you get to the real stupid thing. So uh, they set up some cameras to capture the ghostly phenomena, And then they realize, oh, no, 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 these aren't ghosts because... That would make the movie more interesting. Instead, let's do the dumber thing where it's actually a portal that's opening up. And somebody's coming through it and then disappearing when the portal closes. And it turns out, Duncan, that it's prisoners from the future that are being experimented upon. (laughs) But wait, it gets dumber. One of the prisoners, in fact, the main prisoner that's kind of haunting everyone, is the son, oh. who is who went to uh, the facility that is conducting these teleport teleportation experiments, in to get revenge for his mother's death, Allie Larder, who doesn't really die. She, she ends up at the end of the movie, like she goes through the portal back with her older. Uh, brain scrambled son because they're doing weird brain tests as well or something. And then she goes back after she's been stabbed by her son. And then at the end of the movie, she teleports back and then hugs her younger son. So I guess he never goes to blow up this facility or whatever that caused him to get, I don't know. Like it gets into this weird, like time travel, you know, lobotomized prisoner storyline in the last like 15 minutes of the movie. Where you're just like whoa, whoa, whoa! First of all, where's this coming from? Second of all, make it stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems like a really shite looper. Yeah, there's even a <laughs> you know
2: moment I mean? where yeah, where like uh, the um, the grown-up son um, is being attacked by the non-grown-up son, uh, the little kid, and he like smacks him and causes him to cut his cheek. And then you know uh, a shitty CGI scar appears on the older prisoner's. Show. Oh
0: no! For right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Oh, sir." <laughs> well, like that was the point where, you know, like, you get the revelation of like, not only is it a teleportation prisoner experiment thing happening, but it's the sun, boom, 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 <laughs> and oh, it's just the worst. And like, I finished that movie. I, I like for. A good hour of that movie, I was just like, eh, this isn't very good, but it's kind of inoffensive, I suppose. And the last 20 minutes of it had me just royally... By, by the time that movie ended, I was just like, fuck you, the diabolical. I hate you. I hate everything about you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really bad, bad movie. And and I shouldn't have ever watched it. I understand that, but um, man, it it was almost... It was almost worth watching for me just because the movie hasn't made me that patently angry that quickly in a while. And it helps me remember that I can still feel. And that's nice. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. It's always
0: always good to have that... uh...
2: Have a movie reaffirm your your belief that you're not dead inside. So yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> what the Diabolical did for me, and that and on that level, I can I can say thank you, the Diabolical, uh, <laughs> for reminding me of my own humanity. But it's <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a shitty shitty movie. But uh, um, yeah,
0: I will, I will not be watching that movie.
2: No, no. I, you know what? I'll tell you, it's almost worth watching the last half hour to see the crazy turn it makes. Yeah, mm. uh, you know cause that's all you need to see is just the point where things get stupid like there are so many bad decisions like I could go into the fact that there, there's an A team let's make some weapons to kill this teleporting prisoner scene that uh and then they just leave him laying around it's like why are you doing that because when the teleporting prisoner shows up he's just going to use the weapons against you that you've made to kill him uh just uh, it's so dumb um <laughs> But we're not here to talk about the diabolical or, uh, just go with it or even the two films we liked. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here to discuss detective films. Films about a central character investigating a mystery, Duncan. Um, and we have two of those. Yes. One each. One of which I did not see prior to this and that's criminal. <laughs> um, and that's the, the movie we're going to talk about first mm-hmm. uh, so let's just uh, let's dive into it um. right um my pick for Bo on this
0: episode when we're looking at detectives uh, is the conversation from 1974 now if you're a cinephile out there chances are you're gonna look at your generic mp3 playing device right now in disbelief and say Bo hasn't seen the conversation." And yeah, Bo has not seen the conversation. It was like the most obvious pick for me um, to to let the listeners peek behind the curtain, Bo. Um, what we tend to do is we'll send each other lists of movies, and on those lists we always put a couple of kind of obvious ones. On the off chance, I mean, we're only human that we may have not seen every movie. And this is the one that was a write-off for me. I was like, this is an easy one. Bo's going to come back and say, of course I've seen The Conversation. Bo says, you know, I've never seen The Conversation. I was like, that's the one. That's my pick. (laughs) pick. Don't even read below the line now. That's my pick. Um, The Conversation is written and directed by this little director guy called Francis Ford Cobbler. (laughs) Bo's never seen it. Yeah. (laughs) And it stars away from Gene Hackman and Bo's never seen
2: it. I know. I, I know. I know.
0: Right, so uh, it came out in 1974. Like I say, stars Gene Hackman. It's got a uh, John Cazell Alan Garfield, Frederick Forrest, Cindy Williams, Michael Higgins, Elizabeth McRae. It has a very young Harrison Ford, like super young Harrison Ford, as in scarily young pre-fucking Star Wars Harrison Ford. Which did that make you double? Did you know he was
2: in this? Was that a bit of a double take for you? I did not know he was in it until I saw his name in the credits, all right, and yeah it it was one of those things of like holy crap this yeah but it it wasn't totally surprising because he's in Apocalypse now as well, but yeah um yeah it it it's weird to see a pre star Wars Harrison Ford in anything for me yeah it it was very very
0: strange Um, so yeah the movie came out in 1974 you're going to hear a short clip of the conversation right now when we return we'll be asking Bo how he got on with it right after this
1: if you were a girl who waited for someone lived in a room alone and you knew nothing about him and if you loved him you were patient with him and even though he didn't dare ever tell you anything about himself personally even though he may have loved you, you would you would you would you go back to him
0: And you've just heard a short clip for the conversation. Now, Bo, I have made some jokes here at your expense that you've not seen this movie. But in fairness, you are fully aware of its
2: reputation. Oh, of course, of course. And and really, this is the reason I hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, Duncan, but I have those movies. And there's a handful of them. The conversation was one of them for me, where. You tell me who directed it. You tell me who's in it. You tell me basically what it's about. And I feel like I don't need to see it. Uh, <laughs> I, not that I, I don't want to.
0: No, you, I'm the same. I yeah. do have certain. I've like, I've still to see Interstellar. And I don't even know if that's a good movie or no, not. No, it's,
2: it's not, and you shouldn't see it. But yeah,
0: but it's it's directed by Christopher Nolan, one of my favorite directors, and stars Matthew McConaughey in a role right after True Detective. So you know straight away I'm like, why am I nuts? And I've still never seen it, uh, and I'll eventually get around to seeing it. Um, but yeah, there are certain times that it just feels like an obvious movie, and sometimes you want to take a gamble on something unknown.
2: Yes, and, and that I kind of prefer that, in, in honesty. I like watching movies that are a little off the beaten path, more so than the big studio blockbusters. Like, it took me forever to see Interstellar and The Martian, and, and um, I only think of The Martian, too, because The Martian is the better version of Interstellar. Oh, uh, but... So, I hadn't seen the conversation, but I was looking forward to it. I was really excited about watching it, because it is, you know, it's Gene Hackman... At the height of his powers, it's it's Francis Ford Coppola at the height of his powers, um, and it has a storyline almost reminiscent of the Palma's blowout uh, in a weird way.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I get a sneaky suspicion that blowouts uh,
2: can owe more than just a little bit of an influence to this movie. But kind of what I hadn't anticipated, and this is where I'm a stupid person... <laughs> is that it's going to be that kind of film that seems like it was only made in the 70s that is this very rich character study, and the plot almost takes a back seat to the exploration of the character at the center of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely, definitely.
2: And uh, although later I will argue that some of that happens in my pick as well, but... um, (laughs) Uh, but so yeah, the, so the basic storyline is that you know Gene Hackman um, is a a security professional uh, named Harry Call, and he's basically a guy that you know sets up cameras and and microphones and all that kind of stuff, and you know uh, surveils people. Um, he's a private contractor. He he works for uh, basically the highest bidder, although it's not quite as mercenary as that even though there is that element um but for his character there's a very distinct line that he doesn't cross which is he doesn't really ask questions it's not his job to try to interpret the data he's gathering his job is to gather the data and and somebody else decides like the importance of uh these uh recordings that he makes and the pictures that he takes and so forth And he's incredible at his job. You know, he's considered one of the best in in the country, um, if not the best. Hmm. So he then gets hired to, uh, and the movie opens with the recording of the titular conversation, um, which happens between, uh, Shirley from Laverne and Shirley and, um, another actor that you see in everything. And, but they're having this conversation and, and, the cool thing that the movie does, among many cool things the movie does, um, is that when you initially hear the conversation, you you get gaps in the conversation that these two characters are having as they're walking around this square. And, you know, like different noise gets in the way or obstructions, so you get little pieces of it. And throughout the course of the movie, as uh, Gene Hackman is is deciphering um the uh the sound uh, elements to reconstruct the conversation as a whole um what you realize along with him is that it sounds like they're talking about someone trying to kill them yeah and for the first time uh this character of of Harry call who um, leads a very private life to the point of um like not allowing anyone in his apartment including his landlord and he has all this uh security of his own he doesn't like to talk about himself at all um his uh his partner uh John Cazell, um is like eventually kind of driven away from him as a result of his uh unwillingness to reveal anything about his past or um, get seemingly personally involved with anyone or anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and also, very young Terry Gar plays uh, n- kind of his mistress, almost a kept woman.
0: Yeah, kind of, isn't They never really go into detail about it, but that's the impression that I got watching it.
2: Yeah, and basically, she is. Um, you know, he's not married or anything. So it's not like this adulterous relationship, but it's like this woman that he seems to give money to so that she can survive and that he, he watches her sometimes to make sure that she's being faithful to him. But he's also really reserved with her. I mean, yes, they, you know, presumably um, they, they have sexual relations with one another and he seems to have affection for her. But he doesn't express it well, and yeah.
0: he's he's physically intimate with her, but not necessarily emotionally or intellectually intimate with her at all. It's, it's it yeah. seems like a, a very much a uh, kind of odd like because the upon first watch for me, I just assumed that she was a prostitute, like a really high class escort, and that's why he was paying money and stuff but watching it for this kind of run round for this show i realized that's just not the case at all it's just the the situation of her they are they are essentially a couple but he won't have her at his you know he kind of keeps her at arms length and really looks after her like a husband would look after a wife in 1970 um without the we're living together and you do anything for me or anything like that. It's, it's a very weird thing, but kind of fits into the character later on in the movie explains kind of why he's like this with people. So,
2: yeah, yeah. And, um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of like character beat moments that happen in the film. uh, most notably, uh, him going to a surveillance, uh, seminar, a convention. And, hanging out with um, a lady, uh, a very frisky lady, and uh, as well as kind of a rival surveillance guy um, who is is pressuring him um, to, yeah, uh, you know, kind of join forces so that they can uh, kind of... Um, he, he's a bit more of a carnival barker than someone like Harry Call, uh, who has all the technical know-how, but he would represent more of the, the public face of a company and that kind of thing. And... Uh, There's this really intimate moment where uh, the lady that has shown some interest in Harry is talking to him. And he actually has this great scene, um, which uh, is is probably the one that you are going to hear uh, prior to this, uh, now that I think about it. Um, (laughs) That um, he, he kind of, in a roundabout way, reveals his feelings for the Terry Garr character in a, in kind of a weird third person hypothetical way, but it's the first time you ever see this character get intimate in, with, with anyone, you know, and in, like in a real way and like having a real conversation. <laughs> it's hard not to use that word in talking about this movie. Um And that turns out to have been a conversation that gets recorded by his rival and played back and everybody has a good laugh about it. And it's just yet another thing that teaches this character to trust no one. And so he begins to believe that the the couple that's being targeted is being targeted by uh, a government uh, organization, uh, notably the uh, the CIA. Um, he ends up uh, withholding some information. Harrison Ford, you know, kind of comes after him, threatens him a little bit, and uh, spoilers. Uh, at the end of the movie, he realizes that he, the conversation he recorded was not, in fact, uh, a, a, an adulterous young couple in love, uh, worried about their lives. It was, in fact, a murder plot that they were hatching uh, to kill, uh, again, spoilers, Robert Duvall, who shows mm-hmm. up out of nowhere. and <laughs> Small role, though. That is very, role. super small role, but it's still like, hey, Robert Duvall, right on. This movie just has everyone. Um <laughs> and that uh he gets a phone call saying look we know that you know about this murder and we're going to be listening from now on to make sure you keep your mouth shut and what follows is him totally dismantling his apartment searching for bugs as his paranoia reaches a fever pitch and the last shot of the movie we get duncan is of him playing his saxophone in the utter ruins of his life. Mm -hmm. And it is wonderfully depressing. (laughs) It is... uh, I mean, essentially this movie is the slow humiliation and degradation of a human being Mm -hmm. until there's almost nothing left. Yeah.
0: uh, the, The the irony of the the story is the very thing that the guy is most paranoid and most scared of, of this invasion of privacy, which he does himself for a living is kind of what's used against him at the end. And it's what, it's what breaks the character.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That he, no matter how good he is, is he good enough to find every bug that he imagines has been placed in his apartment and, and, you know, not just his apartment, I mean, it, it doesn't really go into this, but you you kind of do that mental exercise of like, well, every time he leaves his house, he's going to be a wreck. And yeah. and yeah, like this character just ends up in a place where he's just, he's paralyzed.
0: He and even goes as far as, I mean, he's a, we never kind of touch on the fact that he has faith. You know, he goes to church and all the rest. He even dismantles, he even goes down to the level of dismantling his kind of yeah. the religious artifacts in his house, looking for this bug, um, which he knows himself as you know, sacrilegious. But he's going to do that as well. The only thing he doesn't dismantle is that saxophone, though, And yep. if it was a betting man, that is where I guess the the bug was put. Sure, sure. But, but- um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's it's it, like Hackman playing one of the greatest roles that he's ever done. And I can't stress enough, Gene Hackman is one of the greatest actors that ever lived. Um, So, you know, it's him just at his peak. Um,
2: And it's fun to see him play, I mean, it's against type now. Yes, very
0: much. uh,
2: But for me, you know, uh, I hadn't seen this movie, so I'm far more familiar with Hackman as the, you know, brash no-nonsense guy that you know, steps in and whips a young basketball team into shape or commands <laughs> a submarine or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And then you see this movie where he's this withdrawn, very private, wounded uh, person because he is, you know, throughout the course of the f- the film, you are given the information that he is, um, a-, a recording that he has made in the past caused people to get hurt. Yeah. And he's he is, it's tough for him to resolve that. Um, for himself. And that's why he, you know, kind of launches into the, this, uh, uh, this path that he goes down in this film to seek a little bit of redemption and not allow that to happen again. And of course, in so doing, he, he just makes his own life miserable, um, and doesn't save anybody and is completely, uh, worthless. Um, yeah. It's
0: funny because, like, as well, like when I think of when people talk about twist endings to movies, and like there was this big, you know, a lot of people will think back on these these great twist endings of all time, and a lot of them are attributed to movies in the nineteen nineties because obviously, Usual Suspects came out. Usual Suspects kind of set a benchmark for the. Oh my god! And you know what I mean? I can't believe it. Sure, there's
2: six cents and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that all kicked off, and then, then you realise that there are movies that were doing it. Oh, so so far before that, I mean, this is seventy four, um, but this movie isn't designed to to make you go, "Oh my god!" It's just to make you go, "Oh my god!" You know what I mean? It's it's a far more subtle approach, um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I think. It works on so the movie works on so many levels, and the fact that it came out about the same time as the Watergate scandal as well, and people started assuming that you know Coppola had uh, had maybe been inspired by this. And if, if if you even listen or check out any of his his, uh, his thoughts on it, it really wasn't. He was inspired by a movie from the 1960s, and that's what he wanted to do. He just wanted to do something which involved kind of spy, thriller, surveillance, and all the rest. And uh, probably one of the best things that could have happened for this movie was the Watergate scandal, because all it did was propelled the profile of this movie is as far more biting and relevant. And ironically, it's just as relevant now as it's ever been. So
2: yeah, it's, it it is almost, uh, uncanny how relevant the movie is in terms of, uh, its portrayal of a surveillance state and, and what that does to its citizens. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, it works on pretty much every level. The plot is interesting. Um, it's surprising there are these nice reveals. The character that Hackman is playing is one of the most fascinating characters he ever portrayed, and he's incredible in it. Um, like the the only complaint I really have with the movie is that some of the ancillary characters like uh, um, the, uh, the rival surveillance dude, like the, yeah. that actor is not great. Or you know, it's yeah. it's not that he's not great. It's just he leans on a more traditional style of acting. That you know, I mean, keep in mind this is still at the the point in cinematic history where Brando is changing things, like the the Stellar Adler school. Like you still get very, you know, Doris Day kind of acting in movies all through the sixties. Yeah, and and in the seventies is really where that transition happens, where the acting becomes much more naturalistic, and you have a weird blend of that in this movie that can be uh, somewhat discordant at times. Yeah, um, but I mean, that's it's such a minor quibble when everything about the, else about the movie is just almost jaw-droppingly amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, it's an incredible movie. It, I mean the i mean at this point we're just reiterating what what we've been saying it, it, like it works on every layer everything about it is great it should be watched by everyone it is haunting like it's a movie that since i've i've seen it i find myself just you know at odd moments thinking about the film and especially that last scene
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and doing the forensics on that character and like what what happened to him after the events of this movie, and I guarantee you it was not good. Yeah, well, uh, the,
0: the, the kind of linking that and just before we move on and talk about the next film, I told you that the reason this movie, I, I mean it, it took me a while to see this movie um, as well, not as long as you both, but um, I remember Enemy of the State coming out, and I remember reading online whichever early review site it was back then, because the Enemy of the States like 98 or 99, I think it is. Um, and I remember that movie coming out, and of course, in that movie, Gene Hackman plays a surveillance guy who has very much went off the grid and lives isolated, and and he has the same kind of, he has the same look, the same pair of glasses, you know, everything, and it was written into this review that it was maybe paying homage to what would have happened to Harry's character moving onwards could this be him could this be where the characters ended up nowadays and all the rest it's almost like a really loose sequel to the conversation now I would first and foremost say it's nowhere near on the same level as the conversation no 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 but um I mean on some level I I believe that Hackman plays off that role I think Hackman maybe approached that role thinking where would this guy be now um, and I thought that made it quite interesting because his character is incredibly paranoid, <laughs> like really, really, really paranoid, and doesn't want anything to do with what's happening. Um, but gets dragged in. But it's just on it's played in a larger a larger field. Um, yeah, uh, like you say, we're just literally just repeating ourselves now, telling yeah. you that this movie's fantastic. And if yeah. you've not fucking seen it, go and watch it.
2: Yeah, it's a masterpiece of cinema. It is required viewing if you call yourself a film fan. Uh, not just uh, and and if you loved like the Coppola of Godfather and Apocalypse Now and and you know when he was really doing his his finest work this it, this ranks among them it it is that good yeah he released Godfather Part Two and this movie in the same year that's retarded
0: that's <laughs> just like the most ridiculous thing in the history of film history it released two pretty much flawless master classes in cinema in the same year because he could yeah
2: yeah he was just that good and there was that much cocaine in him yeah. um <laughs> this
0: is the small this is the thing is that the conversation's a small movie you know what i mean you know how like yeah. you get that like, like directors put out like a quick movie in between their next big project that's what the conversation was to
2: copla and that blows my mind right right that this was the yeah the, this was the buffer between him and the two godfather films of like I, look i know i'm changing the face of cinema with the godfather <laughs> but i don't want to be seen as just the guy who does the godfather so let me make another film masterpiece while i'm at it
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh
2: it's so good all right um let us uh take a quick break here and when we return My pick for Duncan, uh, a little movie called Zero Effect, and uh, we'll see how that stacks up against one of Coppola's masterpieces. So, uh, we'll be right back. Once there was a show
1: called the Not-So-Evil Episode Sidecast. It was a long name, Batman. No one could ever remember it.
0: They released 25 episodes of brilliant film criticism. And like that, Six months later.
1: We're back!
2: I didn't know we were gone. We've got a brand new name, new movies to review, but the same old attitude. Foul language and obscure references? Count me in! Each episode, we pick a topic, watch four movies related to that topic, then bicker amongst ourselves to decide which film is the best. We're the Theme Warriors! Join Iris, Jeffrey X. Martin, Doug Tilly, and myself for Theme Theme Warriors. Warriors! Four people, four movies, one dynamite show. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Horrorfilia Network of Podcasts, as well as the Legion Podcast Network. That's the theme warriors. Don't want to sleep no more. Who are you people? Uh, welcome back. My pick for Duncan is what I think is the criminally underseen uh, Zero Effect, the uh, first feature film from uh, Jake Kasdan. Who wrote and directed? So Jake Castan uh, was also the uh, the one of the consulting producers on uh, the criminally underseen Freaks and Geeks. Uh, this is, uh, as I said, his first feature film, and uh, I think is likewise a criminally underseen uh, detective film. Uh, but the uh, IMDb synopsis states. Uh, The world's greatest detective, Daryl Zero, aided by his associate, Steve Arlo, investigates a complex and mysterious case of blackmail and missing keys for shady tycoon Gregory Stark, who is less than forthcoming about what is really happening. Uh, The movie stars Bill Pullman as Daryl Zero, Ben Stiller as his associate, Steve Arlo, Uh, Ryan O'Neill, nice to see you again, Ryan Um, O'Neill, and Kim Dickens. Uh, most recently, A Fear of the Walking Dead as, uh, as the femme fatale Gloria Sullivan. Um, and uh, you're going to now hear a clip in which Daryl Zero, um, in uh, a voiceover narration, talks about uh, the unique process that he employs to find things.
1: Now, a few words on looking for things. When you go looking for something specific, your chances of finding it are very bad. Because of all the things in the world, you're only looking for one of them. When you go looking for anything at all, your chances of finding it are very good. Because of all the things in the world, you're sure to find some of them.
2: All right, Duncan. Uh, as I've said, I think I think this is... Um... A criminally underseen film. I think it's a very interesting take on the idea of the Sherlock Holmes-esque detective. Um, but my opinion matters very little in these things when it comes to this show. Duncan, what did you think of Zero Effect?
0: I really like this one. I um, was quite surprised when you suggested it because this, along with horror movies, kind of mysteries and kind of mysteries or detective thrillers are a genre where I'm quite comfortable, it's, I've seen a lot of movies within that subgenre, and if I haven't seen it, I know about them, very much like The Conversation if you've not seen it, you know it by reputation and I would never heard of this movie before and at first I had to do a double take and come back to you to ask you if this was the movie that you were suggesting because when I typed it in, the first thing that came up was that Ben Stiller was in this movie <laughs> And I was like, is this the, the Ben Stiller movie, Bo? You're like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. I was like, okay, I have seen Ben Stiller in serious movies before and I did not like them. Um, so well, it'll be interesting to see what this movie's like. And then I found out it is a comedy of sorts. So, yeah, I, I felt a bit more a bit more in keeping with the Ben Stiller that I am more aware of. Um uh, there was another bit of interesting casting here. Bill Pullman uh, has uh, a long storied past with me in that me and a, a former co-host that used to do the podcast Under the Stairs with me used to have this ongoing joke about could we remember if Bill Pullman starred in a movie, particular movies, because there are whole parts of his career that had bit parts that I can't remember him being in the movie. I just assume it's a different actor.
2: Um and well, he does wear disguises in this movie too, Duncan. So, <laughs> yeah. But like,
0: for example, uh, we were talking about the the remake of the the Grudge, and he's in that movie. And I, I honestly, it's it's like a blank spot every time I try to picture. I know who he is in the movie, but I can't remember him in the movie. And he is in the movie, um, and he's had roles like that in the past where he's had small bit part roles that don't necessarily benefit at all from him being in the movie. You know what I mean? He's just he's kinda of in them. Um which is weird because he's been in a ton of movies which I think he's fucking amazing in. Um, and this is one of them. He is our he is our main character. He is Daryl Zero, the greatest private detective ever. He's he's described in great detail by Ben Stiller at the start as, you know, He's not only a detective, he's a musician, he's an artist, he's a lover, he's a fighter. he's You know, like, this list goes on of all these things. He never leaves his house, and even though he never leaves his house, within half an hour he can solve a crime. Um, Just looking at the case file, he's like a human computer. He is Daryl Zero. And we, essentially at the start of this movie, Ben Stiller is trying to woo a potential new client, this Gregory Stark guy played by Ryan O'Neill, who is asking originally? And all the great, de- like we've spoken about this before as well. There is a a great thing about kind of noir esque crime novels in that our detective will start investigating one thing, uh, another case will come along which runs parallel to it. You think. Two cases are separate, but by the end of it, you'll find that the two cases are actually connected. Um, And this does exactly the same. It follows that format, but does it in a really interesting way. Um, Ryan O'Neill has a dark secret. His dark secret is he's lost his keys. Um, He doesn't know where his keys are. But one of these keys uh, gives you access to a safety deposit box, which... May have some bad stuff in it. We don't know. He doesn't know. Um, All we know is that he's been blackmailed and has been blackmailed since it went missing. And at first it was manageable. He's a very rich guy, but the frequency of payments has increased till he's at the point now that he doesn't want to pay anymore. So through Ben Stiller, he is conned into hiring Daryl Zero. Now, in any other movie... That big con line at the beginning would then show a rather inept detective. But Daryl Zero is the real real deal. He is a great detective. He has one big problem though. He has zero social skills. <laughs> yeah. And a little bit of a drug problem. And um, yeah, yeah, just just a bit. He um, is terrible. When speaking to people, he it just—he it doesn't have those skills. That's why he has Steve Arlo, his assistant, who was this very flashy up-and-coming lawyer who was hired by Zero, um, who's kinda at his wits' end now. He's got a rather attractive lady that he's wanting to marry that Zero keeps telling him is a terrible idea, um, and he doesn't get to spend any time with her because Zero's demands are actually fairly because he's never thinking about Arlo ever he's always thinking about himself and he's so he has a detective's mind he, whenever something new and interesting comes up he focuses on that very much to the detriment of his friends plans or travel which sees Arlo spend a lot of time on a plane when he doesn't need to um, and what we get is we get Zero kind of focusing in on who's doing the blackmail finding that it's uh the, the Kim Dickens character. That's Kim Dickens, isn't it? Yes. I'll that up, yeah. Kim D- Kim Dickens character. Um he manages to track down his but I can't find any conceivable reason why she would be blackmailing for the sorts of money she's doing because she helps out, you know, <laughs> kids, she's a paramedic, you know, all all these are sort of that she's She's heavily involved with being a nice person and, for all intents and purposes, is a very nice person. Why would she do this? There's no connection, really, between her and Stark. Um, and he tries to befriend her and ultimately ends up in a position where he kind of falls for her and she falls for him. Uh, which leads to another case, which is this kind of... Uh, it's not. A, it wasn't a prostitute, but it's like a, a mistress of sorts that Stark had, um, who died in mysterious circumstances, and then we find out that there was a child, and then we find out that, that child is actually, and I'm spoiling things here, um, so I will not spoil this actually, because it's just occurred to me, this is still a fairly modern movie that people should check out. It, it eventually ends up that Kim Dickens does have a legitimate reason to blackmail Stark um, and obviously Zero breaks into that and finds it exactly what that is what I love about the movie is very very quickly Zero finds the keys which were down the back of the couch right. <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> yeah. which to be honest is the obvious place that you check that's what I check when I've lost my keys it's usually down the back of the couch um, yeah the, the things I like about this movie is I think Bill Pullman is almost kind of Almost in a, a career defining role in this one, I genuinely I am struggling to think of roles that he has played where I actually think he has he has performed in such a, diva- a diverse capacity. Um, he is an intensely interesting character. The, the way he looks at the world, the way he knows that he just is the best, you know, from the start. That's that's who he is as a character, but. Um, you know, he's also fully aware of how little kind of social skills he has as a character. He just, he just gets on with it because he knows at the end of the day, what he is good at ultimately is being a detective. And that's, that's his curse. That's something he has to live with. Um, what I liked as well is, actually the one thing I didn't like was Ben Stiller in this movie. It could have been played by anyone else, but I'll come back to that. Um, But the the Pullman character was really interesting. His interactions with Kim Dickens, uh, you know, as Gloria, and them kind of starting to kind of fall for each other, I thought was a really quite sweet part to the movie, which a lot of movies try and do and don't get the tone right, or a lot of movies wouldn't dare to do because they'd be worried that it would affect the tone. And it worked so well in this movie. It was was, was actually quite incredible. Um, The story itself, like we mentioned with the conversation, originally starts with a superficial, we're going to solve a crime, and then very, very quickly we are kind of transported more into, it is a character study of who Daryl Zero is. Um, And that kind of carries on even towards the end, and like I say I'm not going to spoil that, but he even makes assessments and statements and through other characters make statements about what sort of person he is. So we're almost getting Daryl Zero in, in 3D, if you know what I mean. We're getting his opinion on himself and opinions of others from outside in on him. And I think that works really well for the movie. The story is a bit predictable. It's not the most... Unique crime. It's not going to keep you guessing, um, but it doesn't need to. I, I I think by that stage, we've kind of covered all these. I, I kind of like I say, it harks back more to the kind of kind of noir novels, the kind of noir mysteries, and in that, all of those were fairly formulaic. So it kind of plays into that. Um, it, it owes a lot to. It actually, owes a lot to, and you might laugh at me when I say this, it owes a lot to movies like Ace a Pet Detective, but it just handles it in much more of a grown-up manner with the comedy, because essentially those characters are, on all, for all intents and purposes, on paper, are very similar. They're incredibly talented, they know they're incredibly talented, they just have a gift for being able to solve things, whereas... Ace Ventura has played for for more kind of gross humor. This one's played more of an adult humor, and the humor isn't all the way through the movie either, which I think that benefits it. It's not just a straight up comedy. I think it would get a bit repetitive and boring if it was. Um, Yeah, I was quite, I I was actually very surprised at this one, not only because I think Bill Pullman pulls in an incredible performance, but it was the fact that I'd never ever heard of this movie before. wasn't on my radar, didn't know anything about it. Um, Surprise cast um and everything worked i really like it like everything worked um minus ben stiller who yeah ben this this is not a ben stiller movie Ben yeah. Stiller's not that guy they could i i i was i was actually thinking that you could take him in out and replace him with him like the character's not batty enough you know he doesn't get angry enough to be ben stiller that's his sort of humor that you could replace him, but it's not an offensive way, but I'm like, that terrible casting! Um, it's just, it kind of felt like a relevant casting, um, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you can argue that whatever whatever your opinion of Ben Stiller is, this movie doesn't necessarily play to his strengths. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I think his character is not, like, his character is there to be sometimes the comic relief, but most of the time, he is just sort of the put-upon Steve Arlo. Um, yeah. and you know, but I think that the, some of the things I really enjoy about the movie, um, uh, are the, the great links that Daryl zero will go to, to preserve this sense of anonymity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the hoops that he'll make Arlo jump through for the same reasons. Uh, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it really is a movie. I like, it reminds me very much of, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Irene Adler, you know mm-hmm. the the uh, the the stories in which um, Holmes went up against his kind of greatest nemesis, who who turned out to be um, the, this woman that he also had some affection for, and uh, particularly in the modern incarnations of of Holmes, that's always been something that I think writers are drawn to, and I think Daryl Zero is a very Sherlock Holmes character, like his observation and the, his knowledge of minutia and, and that sort of thing are very, uh, are very evident. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do think it is the, the relationship he has with Kim Dickens. And in fact, um, to kind of spoil the last line, even though the, this doesn't necessarily spoil events of the movie, but yeah, I like it a lot. Um, Where he says, in the end, she did for me what I've done for so many, help solve a problem first by observation, then by careful intervention. In other words, the zero effect. Mm -hmm. And the movie really is about him making the transformation from someone who only observes people to actually becoming a people um and it's yeah I, I I think it's really strong I you know the mystery is what the mystery is but it, it's there in service of of this character and, and this relationship he has I uh, I also also like the scene when like when they they do get intimate when he and he and uh, Gloria Sullivan when she's kind of uh, taking off her shoe sitting on the edge of the bed and uh, he's watching her like you know take off her heels and stuff and she says. Um, are you just going to stand there and watch? Or are you going to do something about it? Yeah. And it's like, like it's a great come on line. And, and like the two, the thing that fascinates me about the movie a lot is that the two recognize that the other one is lying to them, but it, they find this middle ground where that's okay. They understand the roles they have to play, but the emotions that they have are genuine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I think it's, as I said before, a criminally underseen detective film. And I, I do think it harkens back to something like the conversation where it's much more about a, a, a study of this character, mm-hmm. um, than it is, uh, you know, just a, a run of the mill mystery. Like, like body heat is a mystery. Yeah. And this movie is a character study wrapped in a mystery. Um, Which, ironically, uh, Jake Kasdan, son of Lawrence Kasdan, who, of course, did Body Heat, (laughs) and um, I think it's interesting that both of them had their own take on kind of film noir.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's had a really weird career since. I was looking at his um, list of movies since, and he has done a lot of awful comedies. Like, really, really, really bad comedies. (laughs) like didn't like Orange County, didn't like Bad Teacher, hated sex tape. Um, although, I'm quite interested to see that he's the guy that's going to be doing the Jumanji remake. Yeah, so.
2: yeah. Like, he's obviously very talented. Like, I think this movie shows he has a lot of talent.
0: Definitely, definitely. And
2: yeah, I'm just not sure why that. I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I like bad teacher. I I do think there's some funny stuff in that movie, but uh, yeah, orange County is not great. Sex tape is not great. Um, you know, freaks and geeks is fantastic. And, and tonally seems more like this in that, you know, that is, you know, a dramedy, uh, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is kind of in the same boat where there are elements that I think are, are very funny about it. Um, and but my favorite parts uh, you know I, and I'm a sucker for any movie where a detective explains their process, and it's just a little bit smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there there's a scene where he asks uh he's in uh, a gym with Ryan O'Neill and asks him what level he's running at. And then goes on to explain later why he knew it was a lie and what that revealed about his character. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie where he, he talks about the connections he makes with people and it's really interesting. Um, so, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's sort this out, Duncan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I said all along, Zero Effect was my dark horse candidate because, uh, I didn't have a, Coppola directed masterpiece in my pocket. That's not my fault, Bob. I know it's not your fault. It doesn't mean I can't blame you for it. Um, I'm an American, Duncan. I can point a lot of fingers, a lot of places, and it's usually not at me. Um, but, uh, but I do. I still feel like zero effect is a worthy adversary in the sense that it is strangely a similar movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I don't think there's any getting around the fact that the conversation is like one of the great American films. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I mean, as much as I love Zero Effect, it, like I, I do make this argument a bunch where I say like, well, which movie would I rather sit down and watch again? And it's like I would watch both of these again.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've watched, I've watched your, I watched Zero Effect twice, and the second time was just for me. It wasn't for taking notes or prep for the show. I just watched it because I wanted to watch it again. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really good movie, and uh, and that's underselling it. Like, it, it really is a terrific showcase for Bill Pullman, who is who is an actor that gets a lot of short shrift. Like, no, people don't acknowledge the fact that he is legitimately a good actor, and um, in this movie, it's real fun to see him play this manic character in private, and and the only time he seems to be able to act normal. is uh, as he kind of puts it in the film is like the best way to, to fit in is to look at how normal people are behaving and then act like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what he does in this movie. And it, it's really interesting. Yeah. He's all over the place and, in a great way. Um, and I, you know, if you're a fan of mysteries or detective films and haven't seen zero effect, you absolutely should, um, Definitely. you know, for no other reason than to, to get a renewed appreciation for Bill Pullman. Um, and, and also, you know, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's a, it's a really good character study and, and is full of fun detective y things. Um, that being said, you just can't argue with the conversation, man. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an incredible, incredible movie. I'm, I, you know, I know when I'm licked, Duncan. <laughs> and I've been licked good by the conversation and not in the sexy way. <laughs> in that old West way where it's like, you know, you get beat up and somebody says you've been licked. Um, so I, 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 unless you are just going to argue the point that no, no zero effect (laughs) is better than the conversation.
0: Zero effect was a surprisingly good movie. I think it's a, it's a really good movie. That is definitely worth people's time. I, it, it it competes on one level certainly there are there are a small group of films that have ever been made personally that i think um that exist in the realms of the conversation and it is like a really limited group of films um and whilst there's a great choice and it certainly is the spirit of this show is to try and you know bring movies that the other one hasn't no no not only hasn't seen but hasn't heard of um, which is the benefit if you haven't heard of the movie at all that's even better um, I, you, you certainly did that but uh, I, I, I would be hard pressed to try and argue against the conversation I think it's a phenomenal movie so well I think it's time then Duncan
2: <laughs> I've got a sneaky suspicion I know what's coming up here bro. you do know what's coming because I threatened it already <laughs> And now it has arrived. I invoke the name of the Winter Beast. It's important that we keep a cool head during these little occurrences. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with <laughs> I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that, except to say that I too have one, and I am keeping it yeah. just now, and it will be deployed before the season is out, Bo.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, when you're when you're up against the conversation, you're only the only way you can escape that fade. It's the Winter Beast. Yeah, is to go is to go to the one movie that supersedes all film, <laughs> the Winter Beast. And for those who are new to the show, it's important uh, that crazy music you heard is an indication. That we'd we invo- be like People yeah. be like, what's happened to this? <laughs> right. what, what the hell is going on? Which is exactly what you say while watching Winter Beast. Uh, <laughs> Winter Beast is the greatest film that has ever been uh, seen or made. Um, and it is the trump card. We each have a Winter Beast to play, and it gives us the automatic win. So I win this episode <laughs> of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. I beat the conversation. <laughs>
0: Imagine someone sitting down trying to explain this to either Francis Ford Coppola or, or Gene Hackman. A, a what?
2: <laughs> right. And then once you show it to them, they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it.
0: Oh, yeah, I yeah. obvious.
2: Yeah, that movie is clearly superior to every other film in every way. Um,. <laughs> Which, by the way, it's also worth saying, uh, at the end of the season, we will, of course, uh, have a community viewing once more of Winter Beast to celebrate the end of the season.
0: Yeah, we did that at the end of season one. It was a lot of fun. Everyone got drunk and said, what the fuck? And so we're looking forward to doing that again. Yeah,
2: and let's let's hope that we can do the same. Um, so that, uh, that brings the score uh, to one in my favor
0: we three shows
2: left. Yes, and an incorrect as a tiebreaker. We do not. Ah, right. so, we're not going to so, tie. Yeah, so Somebody I'm, is going to win this season. Someone and has to win. Uh, I mean, know. nice try <sighs> with the conversation and all, Duncan. I'm just warming up, Bo. Just getting started. <laughs> I'm just getting started. There's uh, plenty more conversation where this came from. Excellent. Uh, well, next time out, uh, we, we will be, uh, tackling two new films with a new theme and, uh, we have selected the theme, although the films have yet to be selected. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. Yeah. I I am too. Um, so before we, uh, get out of here and, uh, and say thank you, uh, once more for listening, Duncan, where can other people hear your losing ass? <laughs> should they? Should they want to continue to listen to a loser who loses on this show?
0: Uh, Your losing ass is my favorite country song of the nineteen <laughs> seventies.
2: Yeah, I think it was Johnny Paycheck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I do a couple of different shows Both on Legion Podcast Network Where you can check this show and those shows um, My main one is the podcast Under the Stairs uh, I'm going out of town for, for the next week in a bit So there's going to be some interesting content Coming up in my absence One of which is a certain interview With a certain Bo Ransdell And his colleague uh, whose, name, whose surname I can never pronounce right it's Ian, Is it Kelsen? Kessner? Kessner Kessner Kessner. Um, and they, they put out a movie last year in the States called Lost After Dark which is getting its DVD release um, on the 29th of February in the UK so there'll be an interview with them coming up and then the, the episode after that will be me shooting the ship with the Baz uh, so looking forward to that. I'll also do another show called Chronicle. By the time this episode drops, episode number 3 of season 1 will be out where I'm looking at Mario Bava's Black Sunday and the stories behind the movie. So yeah, go and check them them out and once again thanks for checking out this one of the shows remember we did some shows on some x-files so go over there check those ones out as well
2: excellent uh and and i would repeat again uh the that everyone should be listening to chronicle um that that's is a great excellent. show yeah yeah no it's uh, well deserved um it is a, a fantastic show and i enjoyed listening to that uh, quite a lot um Uh, As for me, uh, you can hear me on this show as well as uh, the Shotcast, which is a video game podcast, uh, both of which are available on legionpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Legion Podcasts uh, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. So until next time, uh, I I really feel like uh, not only will the interview... With myself and Ian, be ridiculous. Um, I would encourage everyone, if you haven't seen The Conversation, as much as I kicked its ass with Winter Beast, <laughs> by God, you should watch The Conversation. That movie is a just a, a cinematic masterpiece. Um, anything else uh, from you, Doug, before we get out of here?
0: Not a thing. Uh, looking forward to coming back in a couple of weeks to continue the battle
2: excellent uh thank you all for listening once more and uh if you like the show leave us a, a rating on itunes and better yet uh tell a friend that you enjoyed the show because that helps uh far more than anything we can do or say is uh or an enemy if you there's someone you don't like and you hate <laughs> the show then just be like yeah oh, well, listen to these two assholes um uh but on behalf of myself and duncan thank you again and we will see you in two weeks
0: bye
1: I'm <laughs>